This episode contains discussions around fertility and miscarriage and other topics that listeners might find distressing. Today on Tea and Teaching. Quality and Human Rights Commission, maybe they were the first people who, who got this information. They did a big research project in 2016. Um, that, that found out that 54,000 women are either forced or choose to leave their jobs because of pregnancy-related maternity discrimination in the workplace, and that's across all industries. Any sort of change is, is a huge um, process, isn't it? And um, you think about teachers, they become parents, and that in itself is an enormous shift in transition in identity and lifestyle and, and sort of even daily routine. You know, one of the things that I found most difficult was this you know, going from 50 minutes and then a bell and 50 minutes and a bell and everything being very organised to, um, I took six months and then eight months off with my two, um, just like this sort of long desert road of no structure at all. And even that, you know, the, the, the mind mess of, that that does to your mental health of sort of going from 60 miles an hour to, to nothing, well, it's, it's, it's really not nothing looking after a baby, but a very different, type of routine um, but the one thing that there is no law for which is is just atrocious we're living in 2022 is fertility treatment um, there are sort of recommendations around compassionate leave or medical leave but there's no actual law that says that you are entitled to leave for fertility treatment Welcome to Tea and Teaching, the educational podcast you can listen to in your tea break. I'm Arthur Moore, and with me, as always, it's Mike Harrowell. Hi, Mike. Hi, Arthur. How are you? I'm not too bad. How are you this week? Anything to recommend to our listeners across yeah. the world? I keep recommending podcasts because I just don't have the time to read at the moment. But if you're in education, uh, you're probably, well, first of all, you're probably listening to the right podcast if you are in education. But there is a podcast called The Trojan Horse Affair which is a, a really interesting insight into the, uh, the Trojan horse scandal that happened in Birmingham uh, a few years ago now. But it's a really interesting kind of expose on that. But also it's by a, a junior journalist and you kind of see his growth um, through kind of investigating his first um, bit of journalism. So it's a very, very easy listen, very interesting listen if you're involved in education. So I'm on off. episode. I'm on episode three. You recommended you? it. I'm on episode Ooh, three. It gets better after episode three. Oh, it's well, kind well. of it picks up a bit of pace after that. So I won't spoil anything for you. I'm joined. It's made by Serial, who people will know is like they made the first big podcast, um, probably close on five, six, seven years ago. I can't remember what it's about. Um, I actually watched TV the other night. I watched a panorama where John Simpson, the legendary John Simpson, went to Afghanistan. Um, it's not an easy watch. It's a fairly horrid half an hour. I'd massively recommend it's everyone goes and watch half it. Half an hour, I'd massively recommend. It's a really hard watch. Like, I had to take some time afterwards to literally sit down and kind of think about everything and how lucky we are. To Our biggest issue, Mike, is who's on the pod this week? We don't deal with the bigger issues in the world. We deal with who's on our pod this week. It is a big episode, a big issue for us. Not a big episode. It is a big episode as well, but a big yeah. issue of who we're getting on. So, Arthur, do you want to do the introduction today? 
Today, we are joined by Emma Shepherd, who runs the MTPT project, which is a UK charity for parent teachers, which is perfect for you, Mike. Basically, it's a pod for Mike Harwell. So go put on the, your kettle, get a cup of tea, and when you're back, we'll chat with Emma. Welcome back to Teen Teaching. Emma, welcome to Teen Teaching. Hello, thank you for having me. So do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and about the MTPT? Yeah, so um, I am Emma Shepherd. I am the founder of a charity called the Maternity Teacher Paternity Teacher Project. You have to have elocution lessons to get your mouth around it. Um, and I was, it's very sad to use past tense, but I was a um, secondary English teacher for 12 years. Um, in the UK and worked in Vietnam for a brief stint, um, uh, trained through Teach First, so a whole variety of schools from quite um, disadvantaged schools, um, grammar schools, international schools, all sorts. Um, and I had my first child when, in 2016 when I was working in London um, and got bored essentially whilst I was on maternity leave um, and felt very suffocated by some of the narratives that I was hearing around um, what new parents should and shouldn't be getting up to, particularly mothers, um, and sort of had a bit of a crisis of identity and a crisis of confidence around the fact that I really wanted to just be going to museums and talking about books and doing some nice things for myself, um, and that didn't feel like it was really allowed. Um, a lot of the sort of typical baby stuff is, is not my bag. Um, and so I started blogging, I started doing some professional development stuff um, and sort of fell into this enormous gaping void of the motherhood penalty in education. Um, and started to sort of collect um, some research together and figured out that this was a, a, a huge issue that a lot of people were just sort of turning a blind eye to because parenting is such a sensitive topic um, and I'm sure Mike that you've experienced that recently lots of people with lots of well-meaning advice um, of what you should and shouldn't be doing and actually the only really important thing is what you and your partner want to do and what makes you happy as parents and, and whatever that means to you um, but also in the sort of systemic um, bigger picture things um, there is a motherhood penalty in education which means that um, women aren't progressing in the same way um, as men or with women without children. Um, there's a financial pay penalty involved, uh, particularly around ages 30 to 39. Um, and we're seeing women aged 30 to 39 are the biggest group of teachers leaving um, teaching every year. And because that's a demographic that makes up the majority of like a mass, it's like a fifth of all of our teachers are women aged 30 to 39. So if they are also the biggest group leaving, um, it's this real sort of hemorrhage package, but nobody is, is really willing to, to make the connection between that and motherhood. Um, and it's such, it's such a simple connection. Um, we've done a lot of research into it and there are some really straightforward, humane, compassionate ways to, to stop that. Um, which would have a positive impact on the whole of the education system if if there was the energy put into it. So that's where it started, and and this is is where we are now. I'm I'm training as a coach and running the MTPT project full time um, in France. So when you talk about the motherhood penalty, and we mm -hmm. you briefly touched upon it, there's like this the financial thing that I'm sure everyone listening can kind of understand that. What are the other the penalties that 
motherhood causes? Mm. So um, discrimination uh, in the workplace. So something, I think maternity action or, or pregnant and screwed, I'm not sure who the, the or Quality and Human Rights Commission, maybe they were the first people who, who got this information. They did a big research project in 2016 um, that, that found out that 54,000 women are either forced or choose to leave their jobs because of pregnancy-related maternity discrimination in the workplace, and that's across all industries. And that could be anything from um, being made redundant, uh, which is, again, well, depends on the context, but sort of illegal practices and discriminatory practices, um, to sort of ongoing comments about their commitment to their job, um, their ambition being overlooked for progression, um, having very rigid working environments that means they can't balance their caring priorities um, and their working commitments. Um, and, and women do still take on the majority of the caring load. And there's, there's, we, are, we are the maternity teacher, paternity teacher project. So we have an amazing community of dads um, involved in, in what we do. Um, but unfortunately, the stats still do tell us these really sort of 1950s statistics. Um, so I think uh, something like women take on two thirds more of the domestic chores and childcare chores than, than men do. Um, and just, you know, being absent for a period of time from the workplace, if you're not there to have those conversations in the staff room um, and to network or you when you come back to work, you can't do the, the networking drinks um, that, that other people can do because you've got to rush home or because you're just exhausted. Um, it's a sort of grains of sand approach that means that by the time the child is age 12, Oh, there's a horrible statistic from the international, uh, the Institute of Fiscal Studies that says something like, by the time the child is eight, the first child is age 12, the woman's are earning three quarters less than the man or some, on average or something like that. It's, it's really, it's, it's shocking when you actually get into the facts and figures of it. Um, so, so yeah, lots of different sort of nuanced ways that the motherhood penalty can hit. I like what you said about like the grains of sand because mm. it's not this one one thing because I'm sure we can all reflect upon um, our careers whether it's in the classroom or in business and we've we've all seen this happen whether it's I can't come for that drink tonight as you said oh I'm now working part-time and apparently part-time means therefore you're not committed a ridiculous statement and it's that it's not just this one big thing it's these lots of little things that we kind of need to need to consider mike is this something you've seen in the schools you've worked in i'm not asking for specifics but something you can recognize what emma's talking about yeah maybe recognize maybe a bit of kind of retrospectively like just seeing new mums and i, I know you know I've, I've seen a range of different maternity lengths taken um and the transition back into school is really difficult for them. And seeing the struggle, have they come back very, you know, relatively quickly from it? And then you've got, you know, the, the, the kind of strain of maybe the baby's not sleeping through the night, um, you know, that bringing that kind of tiredness into work and then having that pressure of getting all your work done within the working day so you can get home quick enough. Or the flip side of that is taking an extended period of maternity leave and education moves so quickly coming back in and feeling like maybe the staffing's changed in the school and you don't feel like you belong. Maybe there's been big curriculum changes, timetable changes and feeling like you you're just behind and trying to catch up or, or 
you've kind of been moved out of a culture without someone specifically saying you're not involved in this kind of culture anymore. I've definitely seen it from from colleagues. Um, I wonder Emma, if that's something you experience in the people you work with. Mm, definitely. I mean, just any sort of change is, is a huge um, process, isn't it? And um, you think about teachers, they become parents, and that in itself is an enormous shift and transition in identity and lifestyle and, and sort of even daily routine. You know, one of the things that I found most difficult was this, you know, going from 50 minute and then a bell and 50 minutes and a bell and everything being very organized to um, I took six months and then eight months off with my two um, just like this sort of long desert road of no structure at all and even that you know the 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 mind mess of that that does to your mental health of sort of going from 60 miles an hour to, to nothing was it's, it's really not nothing looking after a baby but a very different type of routine um or lack thereof in the early days um and then doing that all again when they come back in and um so we did a research um project between 2018 and 2021 with women who had left teaching age 30 to 39 and we were trying to find out um you know why um, and whether it was anything to do with motherhood and the the curriculum changes that came in in 2017 i think to the gcse curriculum the number of times that they came up as the sort of hairs that broke the, the camel's back it was just too much change um you know one after another and um i imagine that we're we can empathize the same thing with COVID, just constant changes and the stress that that causes to, to, our, to our physical systems as well as our mental health. Um, and then also, particularly in schools where staffing turnover is quite high, um, in, that, in that research project, we had teachers sort of talking about leaving a team and returning to a completely new team with people who didn't even know who they were um, because of the, the school that they worked in had very high turnover. And that can be really really destabilizing in terms of I mean I, I know I went back uh, on my first time and there were new trainees and, and they didn't know who I was and I was like I'm quite important <laughs> um, and and to sort of be walking around even in the corridors and, and not having that status that I did before and, and that confidence knock and and having a trainee sort of look at me and be like who the heck are you and why why is your voice important um, and obviously those sorts of relationships have to be built and earned but coming back in the middle of the year being a nobody when previously you've been a, been a somebody is 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 hard work do you find that childcare costs come into this i'm trying to think back to an example earlier on in my career when i, I had there was a teacher in my department who worked two days a week and um i remember the person who did the timetable said to me you can't guarantee her i think it was like a monday and tuesday off work uh, because the timetable doesn't work like that um, and having that conversation with her of like, well, I don't think we can guarantee you Mondays and Tuesdays like you've requested. And her saying, well, that's the only day I can get someone to take my child. Um, and if she'd put them into childcare for those two days, it would have taken nearly 100% of her salary for the two days she's coming to work. So she was effectively working to pay for the privilege of working. So how much of an impact does childcare cost or childcare arrangements and timetabling kind of restrictions have on people? We, um, that's quite a UK context specific question. We have one of the worst um, childcare provisions in the UK, in, in Europe and in the world actually for, for Western countries. Um, it's extortionate. 
I know, for example, that I'm living in France now and my four-year-old, she's just turned four, is in preschool, um, state preschool from 8.30 till four, four and a half days a week. It's got you know, completely free. She's, she's at school. Um, and I know the creche costs about 600 euros a month, maybe less, 300, 600. And it's means tested and it depends how much you earn and that sort of thing. Um, when I was in the UK, there's 18 months between my children. So the three month, the three year uh, tax credits hadn't, or the three hours hadn't um, hit, sort of kicked in for about 10 months. And we were paying together, obviously, me and my partner, me and my husband, more than three grand per month for childcare. Um, I was on an LP um, pay scale in London, but had I not been in that LP pay scale and had we not been able to get um, term time hours, I had my resignation letter ready when we were negotiating um, with the nursery to, to give us term time hours. Um, and, and for a lot of a lot of teachers, it is it is the case that they do have to do some fiddling around flexible working. And there's all sorts of calculators that you can do about your take home pay. You know, if I work 0.6, is it actually financially better off for me than 0.8, even though technically I've, I'd be earning more. But actually the tax then comes in and depending on your pay scale. Um, and unfortunately, because because there is this this unspoken social rule about women taking on childcare responsibilities it is it's either a, a joint decision a joint conversation about um finances or it is very much this feeling the woman's the woman's career has to be sacrificed or it's the woman who has to to sort of make these these calculations and these decisions um and because of that ifs um figure that i said about the the, the pay gap basically goes massive after the birth of the first child um we always encourage people that they're playing the long term so if they're paying to go back to work in the first three years in the long run that will be financially more beneficial for them than stopping work for three years if that's what they want to do but that in the immediate moment is awful like it's horrific um to think that one yet you're actually paying money so you're 100 pounds or 150 pounds in the red every month in order to go to work or the feeling that you are completely financially dependent on your husband or partner whoever you're um whoever is the the wage earner the higher wage earner um and i think you know as teachers we're we're educated people and a lot of women are you know aware and conscious of the suffragettes and everything that's gone on to sort of give us equal rights and give us you know all these wonderful opportunities and and we don't realize that we're disadvantaged until we become mothers and then it's a huge shock to the system to think well I would literally be nothing without my partner um and then when you think of that you think about single parents and you think how on earth you know the system supports them so in terms of childcare and childcare costs, the system really is very broken in the UK. I don't um, claim to know enough about economics to know how to fix it, but. Since I became a parent, I've decided that single parents are the strongest people in the world. I, I literally can't imagine. I, I, do, I can't even begin to imagine how they do it. And they do, and they do it so well. Like, mm. don't go. My, I'm going to throw this back at you, because you were talking about timetabling and kind of those conversations. You've since become an expert timetabler, I believe. It's one of your greatest assets as a human being. When you now do the timetable, when you've done the timetable, how is it to kind of balance that purely logistical programming of how do I make the timetable work and considering the individual 
people who are going to be timetabled? So the way we've always done it, and I hope we're doing it the right way. I'm, I'm sure, Emma, you can tell me if I'm... Well, I have no experience in timetabling. It, right it, it looks very overwhelming to me. <laughs> we've, we've always asked, the first question we asked the, the part-time staff that we have, or anyone considering um, kind of negotiating to go part-time, is what days? What days you need off? And we will do everything we can to plug that into... So we've the way the software I've used works is that you actually block those days out as one of the very start of the process. So you go through your part-time staff and you say these days off, and then you build the timetable almost based around your staff availability on that. Um, I've never seen it where we've had to change someone's day. I don't think, I don't think I've ever had to go back to member of staff and say your, your day has to change. Um, but you're talking of a, a secondary school of maybe 500 students here. I, I haven't timetabled in a school that's bigger with kind of more demands and a more complicated timetable maybe, but that's the way we've always done it. Um, and maybe it's because of the, the example I spoke about earlier, you could see the, the kind of stress and anxiety that caused that teacher, um, the colleague I worked with, um, the thought of not being able to have the days that they had set up. And, you know, some teachers will say, I'm very flexible. And some teachers will say, because of childcare, because of this, these are my day. I need these days, please. So we've always tried to do it in kind of a, as fair a way as possible to the part-time staff. And my understanding of it, I, I've never timetabled and, and honestly I've, I've sat with the timetable on one occasion to sort of understand a little bit more about what is involved and it. it's a huge jigsaw puzzle from what I could see sitting quiet in the corner. Um, but it, it's definitely the underscoring value there is is the will and if there's the will then there's the way because it's such a complex puzzle that any any sort of there's going to be so many different things that will mean that you have to start again or put a different algorithm in or have something else to consider um you know from anything from student numbers and a kid wanting to change to spanish when they were originally down to french and that knocking you know the the number of places up in the class and so having to create a second class or um, you know, what trainees have you got available, um, who teaches a second subject. And I think if there's the will, then flexible working and part-time working becomes just part of that jigsaw. But where the will isn't there, when there is a prejudice against, you know, this is tricky, this is a, an annoyance, this is a makes an, is an additional hassle for me as a timetabler. That's when, when things get complicated for, for part-time and flexible working staff. Um, but where it's it's not seen in that way, where it's like, great, you know, we're so fortunate to have you in this school because keeping you on is saving us a great deal of money in terms of recruitment and is securing outcomes from our students who know you and you know our systems and our relationships. Um, yeah, when the will is there, it's just another part of the, the complex puzzle of timetabling. And in my experience, you get a lot of timetablers who quite enjoy that. They're sort of crossword people who who enjoy that problem solving. I suppose that's a point we can talk about not even beyond timetabling, just anything to do with parental teachers is the first stop is kind of acknowledging that they exist in your school. These are not people that just, I've got part-time person A, part-time person B, and everything you be kind of considering that maybe someone's, someone's coming back in six months. How does that affect our plans? Someone's about to go in six months. How does that affect our plans? I know my partner works in a school where 
they're fantastic with kind of staff working part-time taking these needs and then staff want to stay because they are being acknowledged and kind of embraced by the school and then everyone's a winner mm-hmm. um so i suppose is what you said you earlier you did you do training with schools mm-hmm. if i came came to you as a school and go like i'm i have no idea like what i should do better for my maternity staff parental staff like where should i start what would be kind of your your go-to number one um, that would entirely depend on the school's needs. So um, <laughs> coaching, coaching, a coaching model underpins everything that we do at the MTPT project. Coaching, if, if anybody listening has not experienced it, is amazing um, and very different to, I think, what we know as teachers of being told what to do all the time and how to do it and then told we're not, not doing it well enough. Um, coaching is all about your agenda and what you want to bring to the, to the session and, and the goal that you want to achieve. So when we work with schools, when we have a, a an enormous grid of all the what we call family friendly strategies that we've collected from anecdotes and from research um, over the last five years um, and we ask them to rag rate it you know things that they already do really well um, things that um, they could do better and things that they don't do at all and the first session of our consultation as part of that membership package is is talking around these different aspects figuring out which ones are completely irrelevant so even if they're not doing it it just wouldn't work for their school anyway um, and figuring out which which actions or which aspects of that enormous grid are going to have uh, different types of impact so it might be um, the quickest easiest win um, to, to put in place to sort of get a quick um, result from from whatever the area is retention gender equality um, staff well-being um it might be um a longer term goal that they want to work on and they need to break it down and say this is a real you know having a crash on site is a real vision for us but that's going to take five years and so we sort of start that process there um but then often once this the leadership have identified the areas of priority then their next step is to go to the staff and say, well, this is what we think, what do you think? Um, And sometimes in the second session, that brings something completely different back. And they say, well, you know, we thought flexible working was going to be the big thing, but actually people don't want to go to part-time because they need their salaries. And actually we need to figure out what systems are stopping our, stopping our, all of our teachers from working full-time and having the ability to have lives outside of school so we need to look at workload we need to look at marking we need to look at assessment we need to look at boundaries for example i think mike that's a good place to take a biscuit break go and get some bourbons go and get some rich teas and when we're back we'll keep talking to emma welcome back to seeing teaching we're speaking to emma shepherd uh, from the mtpt um I'm interested, Emma, if we've got people listening to this um, and they are thinking about starting a family or they've already started a family, what, I guess the first part of my question is what rights do they have? So I'm thinking along the process of maybe starting a family in terms of what rights do you have in terms of hospital appointments, um, for checkups, for fertility treatment, for things like that. And what rights do they have afterwards in terms of um, support following kind of starting a family? So there's there's a lot of legal protection available and um, paid and unpaid leave that's that's available for um, for employees. So it's, it's across all industries um, that are 
expecting our pregnant um, and starting families. That's all available on gov.uk. So you literally go to gov.uk and, and Google pregnancy. Um, ASCL have an amazing, very robust document called your uh, pregnancy and maternity and adoption, your rights. Um, so adoption, uh, if you're going through the adoption process as well, there's certain um, sort of entitlements to time off as well. And certain ways that that is, is dealt with. So um, there's certain evidence you do have to provide, but certain things that the school can't ask about. Um, and then uh, when, when you're on maternity leave that's a, and uh, shared parental leave and adoption leave, that is a protected period as well. Paternity leave is interestingly vague, um, actually, in terms of what you're expected and not expected to do. You know, you expect to plan, or you, do you, how, much, how many of those weeks do you get paid for? At least one, maybe two, if your boss is nice. Um, but all of that is on gov.uk and the Equality and Human Rights Commission. So each EHRC have a really great website as well in terms of just all sorts all the protected characteristics and what counts as discrimination and what your entitlements are and they just have this faq page which is so helpful um, so it will break things down into what sorts of communication you can expect what counts as harassment in terms of communication what kit days are what split days are what gets paid for what has to be negotiated and what has to be agreed um, so yeah gov.uk the ASCO document and the equality and human rights commission for um, all the forms of preparation in terms of pregnancy, expectancy, surrogacy, adoption leave, um, and, and how those are sort of where they fall, um, and paternity leave and shared parental leave. Um, most schools will work on the Burgundy book, um, and some schools, especially academy trusts, then have um, sort of vamped up policies, which is really great. Um, so I would really recommend anybody who's thinking of starting a family um, to do a little bit of a discrete shared area search um, to, to find those policies and sort of go through them with a highlighter because there's all sorts of awesome stuff like um, if you take shared parental leave, even if your partner's not taking any leave, as a, as a female teacher, you can get paid in full for the holidays um, without you know, formally returning to work because nobody else would be returning to work over the six weeks. And you can get paid for full pay over the six weeks summer holidays by taking shared parental leave. Um, equally, um, you can get paid for bank holidays, um, depending on what your, your trust is doing. Um, there's all sorts of sort of employee benefits package that's, that kick in um, that can be really useful in terms of counselling um, and, and physical interventions, um, which can be really helpful if there's any um, issues around perinatal mental health, um, mums and dads, really important to flag that. Um, but the one thing that there is no law for, which is, is just atrocious, we're living in 2022, is fertility treatment. Um, there are sort of recommendations around compassionate leave or medical leave, but there's no actual law that says that you are entitled to leave for fertility treatment. And anybody who's been through fertility treatment knows that that is an incredibly emotive process, an incredibly physically um, uh, straining process. Um, it can involve loss um, and, you know, whatever stage that loss happens, that is a bereavement um, and it's not necessarily recognized as such. It can involve um, very stressful um, physical interventions. And I think with, with teaching, particularly with fertility leave, because it is such a intensified period, um, 
there's that performative element that you know if you've just had really terrible news about an embryo transfer and then you have to go back and teach a tough year nine class that's really not where you want to be um, at that point and the lack of formal um, provision around fertility treatment especially considering how many advances we've made and, and how much more common it is for for couples to be undergoing fertility treatment nowadays is oh god we're just we're so behind the times so um, there is an organization called fertility issues in teaching and they have lots of policy templates and sort of training for schools so that schools can say well it doesn't really matter what the law says this is what we're going to be offering and how many days paid and, and for partners and um, and that sort of thing so yeah there's it's all there on the website on the on the internet um other than fertility leave i find that absolutely shocking i didn't know that um and that yeah that is that's really surprised me actually that there's no there's no law to protect that um i guess the second part of my question was we, we live in a world where 50 percent of first pregnancies end up in miscarriage mm what's what's the rules in terms is it an individual school policy in terms of how you treat that is there a law in terms of how you how much time someone's allowed off does it just fall under compassionate leave where, where does that lie within kind of national policy so there is um a law um for stillbirth baby loss um at i want to get this right i think 24 weeks um and then that is so 24 weeks and beyond if the if if the baby is lost, um, then you're entitled to all the all the provisions you would have had if, if baby had been born alive. Um, but even that 24 weeks is about five, five and a half months pregnant. And I've you know, been five and a half months pregnant twice. And that's a very real baby, um, even at four months and, and three months, um, very physically real baby. Um, you know, you would have made the announcement, students would know um colleagues would know and if you miscarry before 24 weeks so four and a half months for example there's compassionate leave available to you at your te head teacher's discretion but otherwise that's not recognized as as a miscarriage by law so um again you know if you miscarry at three four weeks whatever time that is an emotional bereavement and you know there is a stage at which that becomes a very physical process, um, and you know for, for people who who maybe don't know the ins and outs of of miscarriage, um, there there have to be even before twenty four weeks there are physical interventions that need to get the baby out, and it's so traumatic, so traumatic for everybody involved, um, and you know the fact that. If it's before 24 weeks that's not recognized as, as anything at all it's a real kick in the teeth um and yeah again another example of how we're just not there with with our legal protection of women um and, and partners who who experience that and and the conversation around these very very difficult topics and again in a very performative career like teaching if you even if you have a week off um of compassionate leave and then coming back in and having to teach certain topics or having to deal with a certain class or having questions asked hard really really hard work we we have an enhanced miscarriage uh, template that that again formalizes what we suggest that schools should do um, before when miscarriage um, happens before 24 weeks um 
but yeah, it's not it's not protected by the law. And I think um, to anyone listening who's maybe go, going through this, has gone through this. Um, I know I've me and my partner have gone through some of the things you've talked about. It's about going. It's about, it's about talking. Go and find those support networks because they are there. They are there to help you. Go go and find them. And it goes back to what you, you might be talking about earlier with knowing your rights after during pregnancy during fertility like knowing your rights is an incredibly empowering process mm. to do with anything but especially when it's you starting your family so it's one thing i talk about when any of my friends are talking about starting families or anything like like go away and just put some time in because knowing your rights is really empowering because they are there and i know we've talked about the things that aren't there but there's a huge amount of rights that we all have mm. um and knowing them is really important don't assume don't assume other people know them mm-hmm. um mike i'm thinking about like as a leader because it's some of the things we've talked about and emma was alluding to is like you may not know people even going through these things <laughs> unless you know these people kind of maybe outside of a professional environment you may not know this so as someone who has led in multiple schools is there anything you would i'm, I'm asking you a really hard question here mike how do you kind of overcome most if you recognize that maybe something is going on you're not sure what do you do in those situations as a leader i think it's knowing your staff isn't it or or knowing the people who work directly with you and getting them to know the people who work directly with them and i think if that feeds down the chain you you can tell if someone's not in the right headspace you don't need to know so know why and I think this is where schools need to be hubs of compassion, don't they? We're so good with students. If, if something's going on really bad at home with a student, as a school, we jump in and we do everything we can to support that student. But it goes back to what you said, Emma, it's a performative career. It's people expect you to turn up day in, day out and perform to the level that students need you to. And we all know that's just not possible. Um, so I think it's just recognizing when people aren't in the right headspace and not maybe not even questioning why, just say to them, you know, what do you need from us as a school at the moment? And, and giving them that. And mm. the flip side of that is I know the pressure schools are under. Mm. Um, it, it's getting the balance right, isn't it? Um, you can't you can't support everyone in what they want, but you, you can go a certain way to start supporting them um, and take it on an individual basis. Um, that would be be my advice i'm interested emma um i've got arthur promised in the intro this is a bit of a pod for me as a, a new parent i've got i've got <laughs> congratulations a question for me thank you very much a question for me and kind of on behalf of my partner as well so I, i've just started a new job um first part of the question is does being a parent make me a better teacher will it fingers crossed <laughs> I mean, it'd be hard to get any worse, but um, <laughs> do you think it, it would improve me as a teacher. Does it improve people as teachers? And the second half of that is my wife is currently um, you know, on maternity leave, not working at the moment. How can she use that as an opportunity for herself as a teacher, for professional development? For what can she do while she's off um, to, I guess, kind of ease that process back into a school and make her feel really ready to to return to work um i think first question there um no 
uh, it doesn't make you a better teacher. Oh, Sorry, Mike. Sorry. We um, are in trouble. Whilst there's, you know, there's an amazing Venn diagram of, um, you know, teaching and parenting, and there are so many mutually um, sort of enriching aspects and insights and um, moments and, and connections that you can have and experiences, but um, <laughs> you're a terrible teacher and a great parent, then you're going to be a terrible teacher and a great parent. And if you're a terrible parent and a great teacher, then, you know, but also if you're not a parent, you you are more, you're capable of being a, an incredible teacher. And I know I was, I was, a, I was a great teacher before I was a parent and I was a very different teacher when I was a, a parent, but I was still a great teacher just in a very different way. Um, and I think it can be really, um, sort of black and white to, to think you know tick now I'm a parent and I magically have this fairy dust that makes me more compassionate and more understanding of teenagers I mean I had a baby and worked with teens they're not they there's some interesting insight between them but <laughs> they're not the same thing and actually I would say I was better with teenagers than I was with a with a baby and I understood teenagers more than I did with the baby really difficult um, to put a teenager on a bottle when they're upset yeah. isn't it? <laughs> yeah. um and uh yeah I breastfed as well so that's just a terrible yeah that's not going to keep going yeah no we need to edit that bit out <laughs> the safeguarding issue all over that um so so yeah no and I think it can be really divisive to sort of uh, to tout that narrative because you know I know incredible teachers who are parents I know incredible teachers who are not parents I know incredible teachers who are 65 I know incredible teachers who are 21 um and I think you know it's about it's about the training it's about the experience it's about the compassion it's about listening to students it's about loving your subject there's so many things that make up great teaching um and there are tools that parenting does give you that can can feed into your into your teaching life but there's also tools that um you know having a mental health breakdown can give you that that feed into your your um teaching life there are tools that being a competitive athlete can can give you to feed into your teaching life so it's about sort of recognizing that rich experience of our lives outside of school that that feed into what we're able to give students um and then in terms of, of your wife congratulations to to both of you um this is her time to use however she wants and, and and your time to use however you want as, as much time as you're afforded to stay at home with baby and if she chooses um if she wants to to do professional development during that time that choose and that want is really important because you know if she if she does or doesn't it doesn't really matter she's going to be working until she's 68 anyway so she'll have lots of time to to get back on the bandwagon um but you know for a lot of people it is about mental health and it is about like reading leadership texts or you know I, I love having a structure to my day or there's this exhibition that I've been wanting to see for ages but could never get tickets on a Saturday and suddenly I can go on a Tuesday when it's empty um you know that's really exciting and, and gives people a real thrill um so I'd say the first thing to do is get coaching with us um and uh, we have lots of different coaching programs available that are really empowering um, build a network of people who who she enjoys being around and and has conversation that that makes sort of nurtures her as well as all the baby stuff because a lot of time with you've probably found this both of you it becomes all about the baby and not about you at all and I think particularly 
um, dads, you know, it's all about baby, then it's all about mom, and dad is just there to bring tea and earn money. Um, and I think, you know, that that nurturing of self and what you enjoy doing, um, you know, whether that's watching Netflix all day or doing all the baby rhyme time activities um, or doing baby sensory or, you know, doing a PhD, whatever it is that floats your boat, do what makes you happy and do what works around baby because essentially your baby is going to be happy and healthy and thrive as long as the parents are happy and healthy and thriving um i think we can be quite self-sacrificial and lose sight of the fact that we need to put our own masks on first in order in order to serve others um so yeah well, whatever the heck she wants to do um and then we have a whole load of stuff on offer in terms of return to work programs um networks with organizations like flexible teach talent and women ed um who who can do loads of supporting stuff when she does think about stepping back in she could listen to tea and teaching mike there we go podcasts are incredibly incredibly parent friendly my wife's a big fan of tea and teaching mike (laughs) but my wife doesn't listen (laughs) (laughs) i've tried but she will i I will get her this episode this will be her her intro episode to the pod she'll love it thanks for that arthur you've You've just got me in a little bit of trouble there. Um, I think that's a really nice note to kind of say thank you so much for your time, Emma. Um, as you said there, there's so much you have to offer everyone. Like, where, where do people go to find out more about what you do? So our website, the cornerstone of everything. So www.mtpt.org.uk. Oh, no, just .org. .org.uk. Oh, I don't even know. mtpt.org.uk. .org.uk mtpt.org.uk oh dear um we do a lot of stuff on social media so we're on twitter at maternity cpd our hashtag is hashtag mtpt project uh we're also on instagram if that's your preferred medium at mtpt project um and from there you just get in touch we're super friendly uh in the dms and we love to love to chat awesome emma thank you so much for your time um a really interesting conversation um i feel like i've learned a lot um i've got number two on the way who i think will be out by the time this pod comes congratulations so i'm now thinking about oh there's so much that i need to go away and listen to this again mike unlike mike's wife i will listen to Mm, and explore Um, shared parental leave gents you have an entitlement to to longer leave than whimsy little two weeks of paternity leave that may or may not be paid well we won't go into this now but it's something actually my brother's done recently oh, brilliant, brilliant. Um, have a whole have worked, a whole podcast on it he's worked so well for him and his wife so yeah definitely mm. explore that mm. emma thank you so much for your time um everyone else go get a biscuit and we'll be back in a moment welcome back to tea and teaching wow 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 arthur um amazing amazing i'm so glad we had emma on i've learned so much uh what's your key takeaway uh well firstly completely agree learned so much i think what i think emma said it a couple of times is kind of there's so many factors to do with um parent teachers it's not this one thing um she kept kind of talking about grains of sand so it's not we need to change this one thing bring in this one policy think about this one thing it's about we need to consider kind of across the board how this is gonna how we can help our staff across the school um before before pregnancy during pregnancy after pregnancy when they come back to the classroom all these things we need to consider 
Um, it's made me just reflect on some moments in my own teaching, my own careers, and I'm sure everyone else is kind of doing the same. Um, how about you? Yeah, I think the the bit when she talked about just knowing your rights, find those policies, speak to people in charge of your schools, speak to your unions, like find out what you're entitled to and take it. Don't feel like, because we do this a lot in teaching. We do it at like, I should have this time off, but if I leave this class for a day, I'm going to come back to more work than I left. Someone's not going to deliver this. They need me. They've got exams coming up. No, no, no. Look after yourself. Look after your family first. Know what you're entitled to and take it and use it um, because you don't get that time back. I think finally, just I think it's really important to acknowledge as a parent that having a kid does change things like and that's I'm not necessarily talking all the positives and all the negatives. It just changes things. And as long as you acknowledge those and then you acknowledge them in your staff, then that's the starting point. So if you acknowledge that some of my staff are parents and from that, I need to make these considerations. And then it all comes from there. Because if you're not making that first jump, then you've got no chance. Definitely. And discussions like this, like we've had on this podcast, this is the reason we started this podcast, Arthur. Because we're talking about things that aren't talked about enough in schools um, and things that we're not educated on ourselves. But, you know, by talking to people like Emma, we can get educated on, we can learn about, and we can hopefully have an impact on the people around us as well in education. So another massive shout out to Emma uh, to say thanks to her for coming on the podcast today. Um, it's been brilliant. I've been Mike Harrowell. And as always, he's been Arthur Moore. We'll speak to you soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of Tea and Teaching. If you've enjoyed the content of this episode, please feel free to share it with other educators. And if you're able to, please leave a review on the platform. And as always, thank you for listening to Tea and Teaching.